0: Thanks guys. I invite you to turn to John chapter two. We're uh, gonna continue in our series in the book of John. And we're doing two different miracles today. We're, we're doing John chapter two, and then we're gonna jump back to John chapter four and, and put a couple of these stories together over the next next two weeks. Um, today's story is about a wedding party and, and and Jesus's first miracle of water into wine. and. Uh, I was reading this this past week, trying to study uh, this whole idea of, um, you know, uh, how does someone become a wine taster, like the official thing, uh, a sommelier, my only French word, sommelier, I love that, everybody say it, since we're doing that, I mean, swag bag, that's so American, sommelier, that's, right, that's so frank. So it takes three to five years to do this test. You get certified at the end, but that doesn't mean you're a master. Then you've got to do all this other work, and apparently there's only like less than 300 master sommeliers in the world. And part of the taste test or part of the certification to become a certified wine taster is you have to do this blind test, right? So they put the little thing over there. They bring you the wine, and you can smell it, right? The bouquet as it were, I don't know. You, you can actually, if you know what you're doing, I don't even know, somebody told me the French word for this, but you can taste the, where it's grown, like the region it's grown in by the elements within the wine, apparently. Um, so I don't know about all that stuff, all I know is that's just a lot of work to taste and to figure out whether you like the cup of wine or not. Um, Today we're going to talk about this story, and actually, it would be like the—it would really be like the dream moment, I think, for a sommelier. Right? This would be the glass of wine you would have loved to taste if you could ever have any glass of wine. It would have been this one. John chapter two says this: On the third day. Hold hold on. The third day. Third day of what? the third day of Jesus's ministry. We're, we're day number three right now. That's like uh, when you get married. How long have you been married? <laughs> three days. So exciting, right? You know, three days in. How far in are we three days? He's been baptized three days ago. He called his disciples. So he's got his, his crew there. And, and imagine that these guys all still don't know each other. They're, they're just three days in on friendships. And you remember ever starting friendships and like back in the day, like if you're at college or you're getting into a new group in a neighborhood and it's just so awkward, you're like, hey, are we going to be friends or are we not? They're three days into this thing and some of them know each other, some of them don't. But day three, this is what happens. They're with Jesus, right? In Cana, in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So it's a, it's a wedding, apparently family is somehow connected to this because Jesus' mom is there and Jesus is there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And, and, and that's, that's a whole thing, right? Twelve guys with his disciples. So that's only a three-day notice for the family that's hosting the wedding. I don't know if you've ever planned a wedding. I don't know if you've ever paid for a wedding. But asking 12 bachelors in their 20s to come For a week and eat all your food and drink the wine. That's not American. That's definitely a Jewish culture thing. America would be like, no, sorry, we're not paying for that. Um, But they get to come, and and guess what happens? The wine ran out, and Mother Jesus says to them, They've got no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? This is not my time, or whatever version, my hour has not come. At a wedding party, part of what happened during there is these social norms that were going on and and undercurrents that were happening. So a groom was expected to pay for the party and demonstrate to the people there his ability to provide for his wife, and also what kind of, man husband he was going he was is was he generous was he selfish and stingy and so these these undercurrents are happening and nobody's talking about it but everybody's looking and paying attention and the wine runs out which is a huge deal in that culture it says something we don't know what it says about the groom but it says something and it's not good and Mary comes to Jesus and says, you got to help. He's ran out of wine. And Jesus' response is, is kind of like, oh, like, woman? Why are you bringing me into this? And it, it, what's lost in translation here is a bit confusing. It's hard to know because is this word actually, if you go back and read the Greek culturally, some would say this word was actually mother. So it wasn't mom, like you say, hey, mom, it was mother, right? So it was, it's like when, when mom says your middle name, your first and middle name, and you're in trouble, like there's something different. Well, we never say mother, well, most of us, how many people actually just say mother regularly? We all say mom, right? How many people just say mom? Hey, mom. Yeah, right. So it'd be like us going, mother. So it's, it ramps it up a bit. And, and that seems to be the cultural thing going on. He's not like insulting mom or whatever. Kids, I don't recommend you go and tell, <laughs> call your mom woman at any point. Because <laughs> you'll find out something else about your mom that you didn't know. Um, it's mother, right? Why are you bringing me into this? And then he says, my hour hasn't come. Now this is interesting because if you read through John, timing is a big deal. Jesus says stuff like, my hour hasn't come, the time hasn't come, the the day is not here. He says that multiple times throughout John. And then he also says, the hour has come, the time has come, the moment has come, again and again and again. So what is he talking about? What's what's coming, What, what hasn't come? And it all centers around the crucifixion. Everything. And when you start to see, when he starts to say it's time, the hour has come, it's always about the crucifixion. And what he's saying here is, look, if I do a public miracle like this, it starts a chain reaction of events that starts the steps towards the crucifixion. And he's saying, look, I, I can't, my time hasn't come. The hour hasn't come for that. So he's got a dilemma here. His mom is saying, hey, look, this guy's out of wine, probably a family friend. You gotta do something. And Jesus is, like, Jesus is just saying, look, my time hasn't come. If I do something and everybody sees this thing, it starts that, that chain of reaction. But I love what He does. I love what mom says. Just do what he says. Isn't that like so mom? Right? I've gotta do this. You gotta go do this. This is going on. Mom, mother, do what he says. Just just do what he says, and then I like that. And so what does Jesus do? Verse six. There were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So when we think of jars, and they think of jars, that word means two different things. Pass me the jar of jelly. It's not 30 gallons of jelly, right? It's a a little tiny jar. So jar is big, 20 gallons, six of them. Easy, 120 gallons of water. A lot of water. Could be up Obviously higher than that, but let's go conservative estimate. And he says, Hey, I want you to take these things and I want you to fill them up to the brim. Which, have you ever filled up a five gallon bucket with a hose? That takes forever. Can you imagine filling up 120 gallons with a bucket of water out of a well? I mean, you're just. This didn't happen quick. It was. Get the water, go pour it in, go back, get some more water, pour it in, 120 gallons. This took a while, so just kind of let that sink in. This wasn't a fast solution. They had to fill these jars up because they were empty because the jars of purification was part of this wedding ceremony where uh, those, those Jews would look at this moment and say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't just about this wedding. They would bring in this promise of having this great wedding day with God in heaven. And, and they, they brought that idea of one day we will be with God into their weddings. And so part of it was they, they came in and they were ceremonially purified. They would pour out some of this water and they wash themselves and they would be ceremonially clean for the wedding and they could be a part of the wedding for the next week. So it's, it's about symbolism. The, the water didn't actually change anybody. And I'll let you be the judge how far you've run with this because so, some scholars go, oh, wow, the, the undercurrents of this. And I don't... I don't want to be dismissive how I say that. So let me, they get excited about this idea that there's there's this undertone going on here of what's really going on because you have now this idea of the water and a spoiler alert, Jesus turns it into wine, but you have this idea of these people being ritually clean, but they're not really clean where it counts. Their spirit isn't clean. They're not clean. And here is this moment where you have Jesus who was the groom He calls himself the groom. And he talks about one day a wedding feast is gonna come. And at the beginning of his ministry, he's at a wedding and they're asking him to do this thing, to turn water into wine. Fast forward and you also have this role of wine in the ministry of Jesus where he says, this cup, this wine here is a symbol of my blood, which will purify you. So you have all these undertones going on of, is that what John was saying? Is that what was going on? Is that, that's cool, like you see this. and. I don't know how far to take those things. Part of it's really cool, and part of it's like, wow, if that's really what was going on, I don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you decide. Um, but I, I don't know what, I didn't feel like I could just skim over it. I'll, I'll let you figure it out, just explain that. But he goes on, and they get the water, and they fill up these purification jars, six of them, with the water to the brim. And then, I like this, he says, now, draw some, and take it to the master of the feast. I don't think anybody at that point had tasted it. It doesn't say either way, but I don't think anybody had. So want would talk about this step of faith. You're taking this water that, honestly, it's in a purification jar, but it never made the water drinkable. The water was dangerous to drink. So now they're just taking water, dangerous water, to the master of the feast going, drink it. Can you imagine being the person that says, I drink it? And, well, as the story goes, let's, let's read what happens. Verse 9 When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. And there's the miracle water into wine. Master of the feast is out front, working the crowd, making sure this whole thing runs well. And he's the one that tastes wine and he's part of that whole process. And it's it's him, he tastes it, it's the best wine ever. And he goes to this groom and he's like, what are you thinking? Because this was the measurement socially, this is what happened. How much can this groom provide for not only his bride, for the party, how is this groom with his best friends, families, neighbors? Is he cheap, is he stingy, or is he generous? And in this moment, this master of the feast says, who does this? Who saves the best wine for last? Like, who does that? Nobody does that. Why? Well, because what happens when you drink a couple cups of wine? your senses get dulled you don't taste like you do in the beginning this was good wine you don't waste it at the end you drink it at the front which leads me to one thing as you're looking at this because historically this is a freebie A lot of people, church historically has wrestled with what do you do with wine, what do you do with alcohol? And the church, a lot of, I would say the church has, has said alcohol is evil. You cannot drink alcohol at all. The problem with that line of thinking is if alcohol is evil, then Jesus should not have turned water into wine. And so then you hear people say, well, it really wasn't wine, it was more like grape juice. Like, it wasn't grape juice. I've had lots of grape juice, and my senses never get dulled. (laughs) Like, it wasn't grape juice, come on. This was good wine, and good wine leads people, if they drink too much of it, to get inebriated, under the influence, drunk. It's good wine. It's the best wine perhaps ever made on planet Earth. The Bible is not against alcohol. You can't find that. It is filled with warning about alcohol. You'll find that all over the place. It's there. Don't get drunk. Don't get under the influence. Wine, excessive wine, excessive drinking, whatever forms of alcohol will bring all kinds of peril (laughs) destruction name it you'll find that in the bible but drinking alcohol drinking wine it's okay it's like money people take the commandment the root of you know the love of money is the root of all evil that's how it's quoted but that's not true the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil so money is not evil what people do with money the love of money yeah it goes sideways really quick. The same with alcohol. It, alcohol's not bad. It's what we do with it and how we handle it. That's where things go sideways. And it is. There's, I don't drink. Um, my family has really bad history with alcohol. Goes back generations. Stuff scares me to death. There are horrible stories in my family line of what alcohol has done. And that's why I don't drink. I've had, I think, not even three full glasses of wine in my life. And I just, for me, I think I could really like it a lot. (laughs) And I just don't wanna try. So I don't care if people drink, like, whatever. Like, the Bible's okay with that. This is a freebie. You guys can go discuss it, and and hopefully I'll be back next week. Um, Here, here's the thing, as I'm as just winding down this story, I want to move into the next one real, real quick here. Um, I love how this ends with this last verse 11. This was the first of his signs. Day three, this was the first of his signs. Jesus did it, Cana, in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. It's so the first one, he manifests his glory. What does that mean? Well, in this story, it, he manifests his glory by showing that he could change literally the chemical composition of something from water to wine. That's the manifestation of glory. He had the authority to do it. That's glory. He had the power to do it. That's glory. That's they saw that. Manifest means to, re- to reveal glory. So the glory is his power, his authority, all of that. And they saw it and they believed. Do you remember back when we started this sermon series, Sean talked about it and then I came back and talked about it. What's the purpose of John? Like why did he write this book? These words are written that you may believe. You're gonna see this over and over again, this theme, believe. These words are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ and, and by believing you may have life in his name. And the first sign, three days in, they see the glory and they believe. The second miracle doesn't occur till chapter four. John no longer is counting days. I invite you to turn to John 4, verse 46, and the reason you'll see right now why we're tying these two together, because verse 46, this is how it starts. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. Oh, we're right back where we started, in the same town. And at Capernaum, there was a official whose son was ill, so this guy hoofs it over to, hoofs it, like, when is the last time I've ever said hoof it? That was not on my notes. Hoof it. This guy jogged over, uh, we don't hoof anymore. Um, this guy comes over to Canaan, sorry, it just really threw me for a loop, um, So when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Let's stop right there. So he's at Cana. He's come back kind of just full circle real quick, not too far out of when he started his ministry. And... He's at the place where he did this before, and this guy from Capernaum comes over and he's like, I got my son. My son is near death. Would you come and heal him? And Jesus' response is, What? Like, look at that. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I mean, that's harsh. That's so harsh. If I was a dad, if any of, us, I, I am a dad. It, think about it, if you had a kid, that's how I should have said that. If you had a kid who was near death and you came to Jesus and that was his response. My word. See, the problem with this passage is if you have the Bible that I do, it actually has this little title, Jesus Heals an Official Son, which leads you to believe the story starts right below this title. It doesn't start there, it starts before then. After two days, in verse 43, he departed for Galilee. Galilee, for Jesus himself, had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. That's the setup to the story. Jesus is coming into Cana of Galilee, and there's a whole crowd. And they're all there, because they were at the feast, and they heard about it. The servants spilled the beans. One of the servants talked. We're not sure who But everybody knows now that Jesus turned the water into wine, and they're all there, and what do they want to see? They want to see a sign. Come on there, little sign boy. Let's see something. Huh? What are you going to do for us? So this man comes in, and he says, My son is sick. He's near death. Jesus, could you come and heal him? And Jesus says, You, right? You but who is he talking to? It's y'all. It's the plural you. It's not the singular you. It's an important distinction. You all want to just see signs. So he's looking at this. This father says, my son's sick. And what's the crowd doing? (gasps) Oh, here we go. Right? They're ready. Oh, it's going to happen. He's going to do something. And Jesus is like, All you guys want is signs and wonders. He's not even talking to the dad, which makes sense because the dad, I think the dad knows he's not talking to him because the dad immediately says it. My son is near death. Would you come? That's the second thing he says to Jesus. A repeat of the first thing. Come down before my child dies. And Jesus, after giving everybody kind of the eye, looks at the dad, and he says, your son is healed. It's important to know that distinction, because it changes how, how, it, how it gets framed and how we understand it. And this is what's interesting. The man, what? Believed. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And and this is this cool little story, right? As he was going down, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so we asked him, what what was the hour when he started to get better? And they said to him, it was yesterday, around seventh hour. The fever left him, no way, that's when this happened. And then the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. That was so cool. And he himself believed, and his whole household believed. These words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And in by believing in him, you may have life in his name. I love that scene where he connects with those servants coming from his house to tell him the good news and the timing of everything. Well, one of the things out of this story, it's not only that Jesus heals his son, it's this one moment where Jesus looks at the crowd and says, you guys keep looking for signs and wonders. You don't want belief. You just want whatever the shiny object is that you're pursuing. And it's this moment where he stops because it's already starting to happen and you're gonna hear this theme throughout the book of John of people just wanting signs and wonders. And why is Jesus so disgusted by that? Because Israel of any nation in the world had had all the signs and wonders that they could have. Like it's like in the history of the universe, the biggest signs and wonders, right? One after another, after another, after another, and yet, They never believed, or very few believed. Most of them just kept on going. Oh, that's a cool sign. And what was frustrating Jesus in this moment, and this is what he fought as he went through this whole thing, is the idea of using God. I just want God to do something cool. I just want a cool sign. I just want to wonder when, in fact, they don't want to believe. And the life that comes with that belief. I don't know if this father was part of that crowd who was really about signs and wonders. It doesn't say either way, he's in the crowd, but he came from Capernaum. It's hard to know. And what I love is that Jesus doesn't weed him out and filter him out. Doesn't say you just want signs and wonders and point him out and call him out. This father could be part of the collective y'all or not. I don't know. And in that moment, maybe it's Jesus' statement that shifts for this guy. And he believes. He actually goes home. He, He changes his plan. Jesus has to come. Jesus says, he's healed. I'm good. I'm gone. And here's the thought. In our relationship with God, are we using God? Are, are we just chasing after all the things, the shiny objects that God brings, or are we chasing after God? There, there's a song that A.B. Simpson wrote. He's the, he's the founder of our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and it's called Himself. And there was this moment in A.B.'s journey where he realized, because A.B., if you go back and you read the origins of the Christian Missionary Alliance, we used to be part of the Assembly of God. And if you go back and you read the origins of our denomination, the Holy Spirit's all over this thing. There's all kinds of stories, and they actually have books. They've written a book about all the stuff that was happening during A.B.'s time, all the signs and wonders that were happening. And somewhere in this journey, something flipped for him, the signs didn't stop. The, the, the things that God was doing didn't stop. The wonders didn't stop. But something changed in him, and he wrote it in a song, and this is the song. He said, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it is the, or was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once it was my working, his his hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. You get the signs and wonders when you get him. We can chase after the signs and wonders and maybe never get him. Is that the difference? You understand the difference? It's so subtle. How are you coming to God? He's he's not there saying, I want to hold this stuff back. He's just saying, I want you to want me first. Believe in me. Believe in, come for me. And God will bring his kingdom. He'll always bring his kingdom. And healing's part of that. Let's pray. Just where you are, it's just your, your conversation with God, but maybe you need to say to him some things right now, and maybe it's just, Lord, I do want you, I want you more than all the stuff. I want only you. Maybe God's kind enough even in these moments right now to start to say, Hey, these sayings of my kingdom seem to be more important than me. Jesus, would would we as a church give us this gift? Would we just be consumed with you? Belief in you. You first. And Lord, out of that would would the, the signs, the wonders of your kingdom come, but Lord keep us keep us in the right connection with you, the right priority. We pray. Amen.